So today we're starting a new series for the month of July, okay? And this series is going to be called Ambassadors, okay? Ambassadors. I want you to take a look at the person next to you and tell them you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Tell them you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Man, I love that artwork. I love that artwork because Jesus told us to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives, okay? That's what the Bible calls you and me. If we've invited Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Let's bow our heads and let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, now, Lord, just take the word that we're going to share in these next few minutes and make it life to each of us, Lord God. Challenge us, Lord, in our day-to-day living. Speak faith and hope into our hearts, Lord God, that we could believe the unbelievable, that we could trust even when we don't see, and that we would be challenged to walk like your sons and daughters every day here on earth, that we could represent you and walk as your ambassadors, Lord. So we honor you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. And as people say, amen and amen. Okay, church, let's go to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be reading this morning from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 11. And then we're going to jump to verse 14 and 21. And actually today what we're going to do is that I'm just going to break down a little bit of what the Apostle Paul is speaking here to this church in Corinth, all right? And uh, we have the scripture back here, and it says this, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. What does he say we do? We work to do what? To persuade. Now, that's an interesting word. Because to persuade somebody, what does that mean? That you're trying to convince them. That you're trying to push them to understand something. And the Apostle Paul here, it says, we have a fearful responsibility. We have a what? A fearful responsibility. Why is it fearful? Well, because he gave it to us. You see, you and I, each of us that are in this room, each of us that are watching online, According to God, we are responsible for the gift that he has given us. The gift of eternal life, the gift of the kingdom of God. We are responsible what we do with that. And Paul is saying that since we are responsible for it, what we do is that we work hard to do what, guys? To persuade others, to convince others, to speak to others by any manners possible. To try to get people to know the God that reached us. And he goes, God knows we are sincere. And I hope you know this too. Now let's jump to verse 14. He goes, either way, whether you know it or not, Christ's love controls us. Another verse, it says that it compels us. When it says that Christ's love controls us, That's such a powerful scripture because when you look at the original word there, this is what it means. Christ's love makes me a prisoner. I am a prisoner of love. I am a prisoner of the love of God. 
I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to ask who's been to prison, all right? I'm going to skip that one, all right? If you've been a prisoner before, raise your hand. No, I'm going to skip that one, all right? <laughs> we do have a couple of cops that come here to church, and I don't want to steer anything up or anything like that, all right? But if you know a little bit, okay, about being in prison, <laughs> all right, you lose your rights. You don't have any rights. You only do have one right, all right? And they read you it when they get you arrested. You have the right to do what? To remain silent. You guys have heard the whole thing, how it goes. Anything you say will and could be used against you. And then all these things. When you're a prisoner, you lose your rights. And what Paul is saying, we are compelled. We are prisoners. We have lost our rights because of the love of God for us. We can't escape from this love. It keeps me occupied. That's another word that it means. And then the last one, the example that these original words mean, is like if you were put in a straitjacket, all right? You know what a straitjacket is in Spanish? Una camisa de fuerza, that's what it's called. You can't move. I mean, you're stuck. And Paul says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Do you feel controlled by Christ's love in that way? That whatever you do, whatever you think about, whatever you're going to say, you feel that his love is tugging at you. You feel that it's pushing you. It's sometimes making you do things that you might not even want. And then he continues on and he says, since we believe that Christ died for all. And I want to make a parenthesis there. Christ died for who? For all. Not just for a few. Not just for the ones that were okay, they were pretty good, you know. Christ died for all humanity. Right now there's 7 billion people on the earth. Christ died for all 7 billion of them. He died for all. And then it says, we also believe that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. So how does dying to our old self look like? Okay, here it is. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for who? For ourselves. It says we have died to our old life. In the spirit, guys, God doesn't see the old you. He sees the new you. He doesn't see the one that, you know, that was, you know, doing this or doing that or lying here and cheating over there and stealing over here. No, God doesn't see that person. God says that you have died to that person. God sees something else. The question that we sometimes need to ask ourselves is if we see that, Because sometimes we still judge ourselves by the things that we used to do in our old life. And sometimes we judge ourselves and we walk accordingly to that. Because we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. Okay? But then he says, instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. It says... We don't live for our sinful nature anymore. We live for who? We live for Christ. Say with me, we live for Christ. Okay, 
Living for Christ is a 24-7 job. 24-7. There's not a break. There's not a moment that you say, okay, I'm going to tune up. No. All the time. Okay? What are you doing? You're living for who? Next verse. You're living for who? For Christ. Right there, right there. Leave it there. You live for Christ. And I'm going to tell you something that happened to me. It's such an amazing story. Because when I was over there in Peru, one of the evenings, uh, they sent me to preach to a church. Okay? But we had to catch an Uber driver. And I was like, well, I don't know how it is. I've done Uber in the United States, but I don't know how I was doing Uber here in Lima. You know, the traffic there. If you think traffic in Miami is bad, okay, traffic in Lima is like traffic on steroids, all right? I'm just going to tell you something that is going to like maybe blow your mind. Between Miami-Dade County, okay, and Broward, Fort Lauderdale, we have about 4.5 million people living, okay, between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, Broward. Just in Lima, the capital of Peru, there's 11 million people living. You want to know bad traffic? You go to where there's 11 million people living in a city. In South America, okay, where there's five lanes, and those five lanes all of a sudden become two, and you have cars coming from this direction, from that direction, and from the middle. I was speaking in tongues, all right, praying. Lord, get me back home safely, Lord. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I told my Uber driver, I will not drive here, man. You could pay me $1,000. You could pay me to drive myself. I wouldn't do it. It's crazy. So I'm with this Uber driver going to speak on a church that I was supposed to speak to on Thursday night. I'm with three gringos sitting in the back, and they're talking about, you know, all these different things. And I have the Uber driver. And what does the Bible say? That we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for who? For Christ, because his love compels us. And when I start sitting there to that driver, I'm like, I need to make conversation with him. Because I'm only going to be here for a short while with this guy. And I don't know. And I start, like, asking him questions. You know, about him and, you know, do you have a family? And all of a sudden, this guy, he starts to open up. And he starts to talk to me about his son, that his son is 23 years old. And he's going and struggling with terrible addiction. Addiction to drugs. He lost his job. His son at 23 was already married. He has a little son. So that guy, the driver, has a grandson. And he goes, my son just lost his job. And now he goes, and now I just finished losing my second marriage. And I'm like, why did you lose your second marriage? He goes, because I brought my son to live with me. Because I'm trying to help him in the midst of the addiction that he's in. I'm like, man, that's amazing. I mean, that's what a father would do. You know, I, I, and it's very complicated to get into that whole stuff, you know. And I go, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And he goes, well... I was homeless since I was eight years old and lived in the streets of Peru. By the time that I was 10 years old, I was abused by three men at one time. And two other men came, and I thought they were coming to help me out, and they also abused me. So that night, I was abused by five men. He goes, at 2, 3 in the morning, I'd be in the street lights, whatever cars were driving by, trying to sell them whatever that I could to make a living and to live. And I'm hearing this guy's story, and then he goes, and by the time that I was like 14, 15, my mom, she had started working at a school, and she agreed to 
do something that the principal, instead of paying her for her work, would let her stay in one of the classrooms. And he goes, and the principal was a very rough man, but he agreed to it. That me, my little two brothers, and my mom, we could stay sleeping and living in the classroom as long as one hour before class would start, everything would be cleaned up. And it didn't seem like nobody lived there. This guy's telling me this story. And then he goes, and then my dad would show up maybe like twice during the week. And the times that he did, he would get there and he would be drunk. And he would start beating all three of us so bad that we would have to like find a tree to climb up while we were bleeding because of the beating that my dad would give me. So I'm hearing this guy's story. And I tell him, you know, I see that there's a lot of conflict in your heart. You know that a lot of those issues and a lot of those things you're going to have to forgive. If not, they'll eat you up. And this guy, he's driving me in the middle of traffic, but Christ's love compels us. And he starts, his tears start to run down his eyes. And in the middle of traffic, I'm like, listen, I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you're going to forgive these people that hurt you. You're going to forgive your dad. You're going to forgive these guys that abuse you because you are a prisoner of that lack of forgiveness that is eating you up inside. And I start leading this guy, you know, in a prayer of forgiveness. And all of a sudden, I start to notice that the area that we're driving to is like pretty bad. So I tell him, Carlos, tell me a little bit about this area and this church that I'm supposed to preach in tonight. He goes, well, this is one of the worst areas in Lima. This is the part from where all the drugs go out into Lima. This is the place where they bring the stolen cars. They bring them in here so that they could break it up and sell the parts and everything like that. I'm like, I'm going to ask you a question, Carlos. If at the end of the service, I call an Uber driver, will an Uber driver come up here to pick me up? He goes, most probably not. I'm like, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're like, you are staying with me tonight. I go, how much do you make in a day? He goes, $42 on a good day. I told him, listen, I'll pay you $40. You stay here with me and you go into the service and you listen to what I'm going to preach. So that guy goes into the service. Now I, I sort of bought his time, you know what I'm saying? And he's sitting in there with me. And I'm preaching, you know, about being light in the middle of the darkness and that church being in that, you know, horrible place and how God called that pastor, you know, to be light and all these things. And when at the end, I make the invitation of who wants to receive Christ, the first hand that goes up is my Uber driver, Carlos. Carlos puts his hand up with tears coming down. And when I say, come here to the front, he just ran to the front. Now, I want you to look at a picture of Carlos. This is at the end of the service. And that's him right there. And that was in the church, actually, right after, you know, we were about to go home. But the story doesn't end there. He's driving me back. And I tell him, you know what, Carlos? I know a pastor here. You saw a picture of me there with two pastors. Those are friends of mine. And I told Carlos, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to call Pastor Danny, which is a great friend of mine. And he, he's a, one of the campus pastors, an amazing church called Camino de Vida there in Lima. And I told him, we're going to set up an appointment for you and your son for tomorrow. And your son is going to come with me and you're going to pick him up. And he goes, Pastor, I live two hours away from Lima. But you know what? If this is going to help my son, I'll be there in the morning. What time do you need me to be there in the morning? And I told him, I need you to be there at 9. So long story short, 
Next day comes around. Carlos picks me up with his son. I take him to the church, Camino de Mira. We sit with Pastor Danny. And guess what happens? Carlos' son gives his life to Jesus. Can we put that next picture? The next picture. That's Carlos' son with Pastor Danny praying to invite Christ now into his heart. And let's put the last picture. That's all of us four at the end. We couldn't even believe that's Pastor Danny, my friend, me, and these two gentlemen. And last Sunday, I'm already here in Miami in the evening. I arrived somewhere around maybe like 6, 7 o'clock. Carlos sends me a what's up, and he goes, you're not going to believe where I am. I'm like, where? He goes, watch this video. He was in the 6 o'clock service of the church, Camino de Vida. His son joined a small group for addictions, to break the addiction, and they're on their way to join the dream team in that church. God is amazing. Why? Because God's love and Christ's love compels us. Compels us. I couldn't help myself. I had to talk to somebody. I needed to tell somebody about the goodness of God. And I told Carlos, if I came to Lima just for you, man, this trip was worth it. I told my friends from One Nation one day because they had an agenda for me the next day. I'm like, guys, I, I, you know, I love everything you're putting me to do, but God has me here like a, on a different track right now. And they go, Pastor, just go ahead and do what you need to do. So for those two days, I was running on a kingdom agenda, something he put me to do. And I told Carlos, I don't even know what God's going to do with you, man, but I believe it's something great with all the stuff that you've gone through. And my wife was talking about generosity last week, and I know that is like a hard thing. I want to tell you generosity. This guy, he had won a claim because of some damages that were done to him, and they gave him $2,500, Carlos, because of the claim that he won. And I go, brother, what did he do with that money? He goes, you know what I did with that money? For a whole week, from a Sunday to a Saturday, what I would do is that I would go to the street corners at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning to give money to the moms and the little kids that were in the corner that were still trying to make it because I was the one that was there some years ago. And now I had this money, and he goes, I couldn't enjoy it because I know what they're going through. He goes, and one week, I spent the money. He goes, but it's the best money that I've ever spent, giving those $2,500 away. I'm like, brother, you are giving me a lesson today. Because you see, sometimes you don't know it till you've been there. You don't know what a situation is till you've been there. And when you've been there, all of a sudden, you know things. And I know that there are people here this morning that have gone through stuff and are going through stuff. And just keep persevering. Keep persevering. Keep pushing. I know it's difficult, man. I remember when my dad was sick and I had to move to a new place. I gave all the money we had so that we could get an apartment. And for that first week, I slept on top of newspapers. People don't even know these stories, man. I slept in an apartment. We didn't have any furniture. I just got like five newspapers and put them on the floor and rolled them up and used them as a pillow. 
And I remember going to sleep at night. I'm like, Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for rescuing me. Situation around me was so crappy. But God was doing something so powerful in my heart that the situation didn't even compare to the condition of my soul, which was connected to the Father. And you know what? When you're connected to God and it's well within your soul, your outer situations will start changing because your outer situations need to adjust to what's happening in here. What's happening in here is greater than what's happening outside. And you let Jesus do whatever he needs to do. And if he's wrecking you, you tell him, keep wrecking me. Keep wrecking me. So today I have four kids, have my wife, we have a house, we pastor this church. Sometimes I'm there thinking, how do I teach my kids not to have a sense of entitlement because of all the things that they have? Because they don't know what it took to get to where we're at. And I'm not talking about all these things. No, I'm talking about God's love and mercy and grace and favor. Christ's love compels us. We have this great responsibility that we have to do something with it. We have to do something with it. So it says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. You see what he's saying? There was a moment that we saw Jesus and we evaluated him as a human and we failed because he was not a human. He was God in a man-made form. And he goes, and we've stopped judging people and evaluating people according to what we see. You see, if you evaluate people according to what you see, man, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You got to go beyond that. And if you're a believer, you're a Christian, you tell God, Lord, let me see these people through your eyes. That's compassion. Let me see them how you see them. But sometimes you'll just see the reactions and you'll be like, what is this, man? And ta, ta, ta. And you don't know what's in the heart. You don't know what's happening. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person or a new creation. Anyone who belongs to Christ has, belo- has become what? A new person, a new creation. Stop evaluating people according to what your mind tells you. Anybody that has come to Christ is a new creation. I'm going to tell you something. How many people here have come to Christ? Raise your hand. If you've come to Christ, raise your hand. You know him as your Lord and Savior. Raise your hand. I'm going to tell you something that is so powerful. When you read that word there, when it says new person, you know that the word new there in the original term in the Greek when this was written is the word prototype. You become a new prototype. What that means is that what you are, there was none of that before. You're a prototype. You're like the first one. You're like the model of something. And to me, that's crazy. Because I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is speaking and he says, out of the Old Testament prophets, 
There hasn't been anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, even though he was in the New Testament, he was the last Old Testament prophet. He goes, out of woman, nobody greater than John was born. You see, David and Moses and Abraham and Daniel and Esther and, and Deborah and all these people that you read, they're not greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says he's the greatest of them all. But then Jesus says, but even the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Even the least in here today because you are a new creation, a new protege. You're greater than David. You're greater than Moses. You're greater than Abraham. You're greater than Solomon. All these people that you read in the Bible. The Bible says, listen to this, that you and I are beings. Check this out. Because the protege that you and I are, that new creation, this is the thing that breaks my head and it's just crazy. And I heard a pastor say that, and it's so true. You're the first creature that has ever existed that lives on earth and in heaven at the same time. Your model and my model, we live on earth, but we live in heaven at the same time. The Old Testament prophets couldn't say that. Why? Because Christ hadn't died for them yet. So they only lived on earth and they had a relationship with God. But you and I have the spirit of God living inside of us. The Bible says we've been seated in heavenly places. So you are here, but you are there at the same time. At the same time. That means that we call to existence here on earth what the kingdom says that exists. That's how we walk. You guys are looking at me like, where did you come from, Pastor? from another world, from the kingdom, from the kingdom. We're kingdom citizens, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And even though we walk on earth, Jesus says, even though we are in this world, we are not of this world. And then we continue. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And let's just finish this. And all this is a gift from God. It's what, guys? It's a gift it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God who bought us or brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task. Say with me, task. Some of us are not too good with tasks, all right? Some of us, you hear that word, I'm like, oh man, I'm already going to fail the test. You know, I'm not good with a task. I usually fail that stuff. I don't complete the task. No, he's given us the task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ. God was what? In Christ. God was what? In Christ. I'm going to give you an example of that real quick, and we're about to finish. Every Christmas, something happens. We have a family tea party. And in that family Christmas tea party, we always reenact, all right, the, the nativity scene. And my brother-in-law, Richard, he's in charge of setting up that tea party. And the nativity scene, it changes every year. I'm like, brother, what scripture was that in, man? I was like, but something happens. <laughs> all right? Something happens that at one moment, all right, Richard's going to go upstairs and dress up in a Santa suit. All right? When the kids were little... They couldn't believe it. They thought it was Santa that had shown up to our Christmas tea party. Like, oh my God, Santa's here. Until one day, a couple of them hid in the closet and they saw him changing. 
Remember that? They came running down. <laughs> like, Richard is Santa! Richard is Santa! Andres, you remember those stories? Richard was in Santa to sit down in a seat and ask the kids what they want for Christmas. And the kids would sit on his lap and say, I want this, I want that, I want that. And in their mind, that was Santa. And whatever they were saying, those were the gifts that they were expecting to get. And then he would go upstairs and change again and then come down as Richard. And every year, Richard, you missed Santa. He was here. He was here and you missed him. <laughs> you know. Richard was in Santa to try to get some information from them to see what they wanted for Christmas. It's kind of fun. The Bible says that God was in Christ. God was in Christ to reconcile the world to himself. God needed to do something. He needed to do what reconciled us with him. He goes, I can't do it as God because God is spirit. I need to take on an earth suit. I need to dress up as a man. And he comes here as a man because man is the one that has sinned. Man is the one that had failed God. So man is the one that had to pay for the penalty of sin. So God dresses up as Jesus and comes here to earth and lives as a man, but he's still God, but dressed as a man. And we missed him because we took him to be a man, but it was God. And then he paid for our sins, took off the earth suit and went back to heaven again and reconciled us to himself. You guys understand how this works? And here's the last scripture. Here's the last scripture. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's the message that we have as a church. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Say that. We are Christ's ambassadors. Can you say that with me? We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. You and I are ambassadors of Christ. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. The worship team could come up. So the question is, what does that mean? That I'm an ambassador for Christ. Why does God need ambassadors? What does an ambassador do? What does an ambassador look like? What are the responsibilities that we have as an ambassador? That's what we're going to break down in the next three weeks. We're going to talk about what we are as ambassadors. What are our functions as ambassadors? What is Christ counting on from us as ambassadors? This is going to be an amazing series. We're talking about compassion. We're his ambassadors. So today you leave this place. And even though you might be broken inside, You live, you leave this place as a dignitary of the kingdom of heaven. You're like, whoa, oh, what a dignitary. You go or you leave this place with your head on high, believing what your heavenly father says about you. You're his representative. Wherever you go, you're God's ambassador.